Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Hi, this is Matt Rogers. And this is Bowen Yang. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or staying together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more Connected community. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mears. Hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, good to be back with you. It is 44 degrees in South Florida today. We turn on the heat once a year. Can flow today's the day. That's wild. It's been cold as hell over here. We got we got hit with snow. Uh, there was ice. There's ice on the ground a little bit here today, too. Yeah. So uh, South Florida gets that cold. I had no idea. Well, I didn't necessarily know it got that cold, right? Um, and my stubborn son wants to go outside with, like, nothing on him. So uh, <laughs> maybe he'll pay for it. Getting flannel flow for a second straight week here yeah. on the Anakin Florian podcast. It's Monday, January 24th. The year is 2022. It's episode 333, I believe. Probably should have booked Ooh. Triple C. All right, a lot to get to today. Man, some crazy stuff in the NFL on Sunday. I would just suggest off the top to our international viewers and listeners, if you don't follow the NFL, may want to start. Find a team, and we can help you with that. We're not going to be homers and tell you to become New England Patriots fans, although it's going to be tough for them for the next couple of years, so maybe it's a good time to uh, to get on board with the Pats as a non-front-running team. But if you're an international fan that doesn't have a dog in the fight, I would softly suggest that you become an NFL fan. You know, I tried to get into soccer, football uh, a while back, you know, followed Man City for a little bit because my younger brother was a really big Manchester City fan. Um, Couldn't really get into it, but maybe I should start again. Um, All right. Today's episode of the Anakin Florian podcast brought to you by Private Internet Access, America's number one VPN service. So I learned something new when we signed with PIA, Ken Flo. Did you know that even in incognito mode, Your devices are still storing data and selling it to the outside world. I was kind of blown away. Perhaps I shouldn't have been. But fret no more, folks. We've got private internet access to encrypt and reroute our internet activity and even offer us the ability to surf the internet as if we are in one of the 75 countries available. For example, when I'm here in SoFlo, 
Sometimes I like to appear that I'm from West London to watch the Premier League. When I got a few shekels on the game, or I'll serve for cheaper prices from Netflix and Eastern Europe to save a bit. Ken Flo, as we sit here today, PIA has come through with a generous offer to our listeners of the Anakin Florian podcast. A whopping 83% off deal that features four free months on a three-year sign-up. You got 30 days to decide if the product is for you or your money back. And with over 30 million downloads worldwide across all platforms like Windows and Mac, we know PIA does not receive many of those money back requests. So all you got to do to take back your internet privacy, head to privateinternetaccess.com slash Kenny Florian, or check the link in the description on this episode and get linked up with PIA today. That is privateinternetaccess.com slash Kenny Florian to take back your internet privacy. All right, time for headlines. UFC 270 is in the can. Gosh, man. This sport, whether it's a card of the year or not, the headlines, it's unbelievable. The news cycle, right? We might have to go five days a week at some point when we retire, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Do you think you'll ever take up golf or are you going to just do like jujitsu forever? I'm in like, you know, golf central over here. Everyone is asking me if I golf and want to go golfing and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I may have to, but I I have so many other hobbies and crap going on I, yeah. in the in the in the uh near future probably not but maybe as i get a little older you know sorry ladies i'm not the golfing type um <laughs> so it's interesting because i golf is very addictive and yeah. i do believe once it would grab you the problem is it's a huge time commitment you know mm-hmm. it's a financial commitment it's a time commitment it's five hours around you know maybe less uh, unless you're DC with your private courses and your access and your uh, bankroll and everything else. Um, my issue is that it's not physical. Like you can walk, right? right. But I'd rather get a workout if I'm going to devote that much time to something, sure. you know? Um, but I get injured every time I do anything now. So uh, when I play <laughs> tennis, play basketball, I get fucking injured. Um, speaking of injured, uh, Francis Ngannou with the knee sleeves, not an issue. You know, I don't dive too deep into the analysis when I'm calling a fight. That is not my job. I try to stay in my lane. Sometimes you'll hear me get analytical, but I would be remiss if off the top, I didn't say strategically. And it, it looked like Francis Ngannou was thinking about a takedown early on in this fight in round one. And one thing we were told in our fighter meeting this week from Eric Nixick is that Francis Ngannou does handle a lot of his own game plan. A lot of other fighters delegate. And, you know, I didn't lean into it at the time, but I, I really wasn't surprised later in the fight when he he went to it. It worked. He stayed with it. Um, what were your thoughts on an unexpected main event and, and championship title defense for Francis Ngannou? You know, we talked about how both of these guys kind of knew each other a little bit. And I think that was going to be interesting as far as what the approach was going to be tactically, strategically. Uh, and... Given the fact that Ngano went in there, which what seems like a, a pretty major injury to his knee, I was hearing ACL and MCL tear, something crazy like that. Um, you know, that's really difficult for a lot of people to deal with. And the fact that he went out there and we know him as this, obviously this extremely dangerous striker, um, the fact that he was able to add this other wrinkle into his game and utilize something that he's not necessarily known for was extremely impressive and showed an intelligence that I'm not sure we were prepared for because if you look at Cyril Gunn, he's been the guy that has gone out there and been very tactical and slick and smooth and smart, whereas Ngannou just goes out there and destroys. This showed a different angle to his abilities. Now, it wasn't always pretty, okay? But the fact that he was able to do this with a injured knee 
with all the pressure that was on him, with you know the contract dispute that was going on outside of the UFC, all that stuff, the fact he was going against a former training partner, a former coach, all that stuff, it seemed like the odds were almost insurmountable in, in some ways, right? And, and, and Ganu's in Ganu. But how do you throw with the same kind of power if you can't plant well on that injured knee? You can't. So that probably took away from his ability to throw down like he wanted to. And, um, you know, there's a lot of doubt that can creep into your mind. He's not just going against another dude in the heavyweight division. This is Cyril Gunn, a highly skilled, a highly intelligent fighter. And it's for the belt, to defend his belt. There was so much at stake. And the fact that he was able to go out there and pull this off and being down two rounds, by the way, on, on – two out of the three judges' scorecards anyway, yep. um, is extremely impressive. That is what champions are made of. Now, if you know his backstory, you're probably not so surprised. He's dealt with so much adversity in his life. But again, in professional sports, um, where well, everybody's watching, all the pressure and everything on the line there, um, I was just extremely amazed by Francis Ngannou and, and the way he went about uh, his victory. Again, not always pretty. But it does combat isn't always pretty. It's not always about that. It's about right. getting the job done when you need to. Right. We could do 35 minutes off the top solely on this main event. He was flat early, Francis. Like he was sluggish yeah. early, right? And I think that speaks to the injury. In terms of what Francis is doing and his training, it's about time Dewey Cooper maybe gets a modicum of credit. Certainly Eric Nixick deserves a lion's share of the credit for everything he brings to the table um, as sort of a, um, a stabilizing mind and a coach. Obviously it's amazing to think of Nixick as a football player who has devoted his life to this, right? Not a lifelong martial artist by any means, you know? Absolutely. But you know, I, I think what always stands out with Eric is he knows his guys. He knows his yeah. fighters and it's almost like he always has the right things to say. And, and, Sometimes you don't always have to be the most knowledge or most technical guy. Sometimes your fighter just needs to hear a few words, a few key words yeah. to get him going on, to get him going again, or to get him back on track. And that's what Eric is capable of doing. He knows his fighters. He knows what's going to motivate them. He knows what's going to fire them up. He knows what's going to put them back on track. He says the right things at the right time. And man, he just... Uh, he has a way with words. He, he did yeah. a, a beautiful job in that corner to get Francis going. And in terms of Francis's training, and we hear all sorts of rumors, you know, injuries, you know, maybe he has a bad day against a middleweight at Extreme Couture in training when there's media in the house. I mean, there's all sorts of, sure. of information and maybe misinformation out there that you need to sift through. But in terms of his training, like, what do people think he's doing? Like, do they not think that he's improving nor working hard? Like when he won the belt last March, I said this and he knew this. He had to go to Batik Cameroon, where he came from, and bring the belt there. That's what he had to do, you know. And just because he hasn't been the super active champion in his first less than a year or just, yeah, coming up on a year as the champion um, doesn't mean he hasn't been working. And even when he lost to Sipe Miocic in the great, city of Boston, Massachusetts in January of 2018 on a night in which he said he didn't even recognize himself when he watched it back. He still won 25 minutes. He still showed you some heart that night when he wasn't even ready for a championship fight. Like I told people, he showed up in Boston three years ago for our fighter meeting for Stipe with the media grind and everything else. He walks into the hotel 
meeting room and he puts his head down on the table. I'm like, we don't even need to do this. You can go like, and we didn't do a fighter meeting with Francis before the Stipe fight because he needed to go fucking sleep. You know, now he is sort of mastered handling all of that. Um, in terms of this fight and Cito gone, um, you know, our producer was joking off the air that Cito gone was not diving into the uh, release of the Kenny Florian essentials YouTube uh, <laughs> series that just went out over the weekend. Um, but you know, like, I would I do believe Cito Gan is going to probably realize an undisputed championship at some point. I do think a lot of these superlatives remain accurate in terms of his striking and everything else. You ain't going to me for for your expertise on that. Um, but I do think he was a little overrated as a guy who turned pro in 2018. Um, what do you got for me on Cyril Gan? And then, of course, we'll circle back to Francis. You know, with Cyril, I, I've always seen a guy who, who uh, has executed really well Um it seemed like he's always been very composed, uh, very technical in his approach. This fight, he never quite seemed comfortable. Even when he won those early rounds, he never seemed like he was settled in uh, and never got into a rhythm. Cyril Gaon is very much a rhythm-based fighter. He likes to get in that little bouncing stance. He gets his footwork going. And while he did show some of that it wasn't the same serial gone that i'm used to uh, i think a lot of that has to do of course with the forward pressure uh evan ganu and and the threat of having right. a man like oh, yeah. in front of him right so he, he's fully aware that four ounce gloves uh plus francis and ganu's fists uh is a dangerous thing to deal with uh so it, it, he never seemed really comfortable in there but what i saw more than anything else uh and, and and it's important to note, John, I, I think you're right. I, I, listen, he, he did pick up the sport relatively, um, you know, soon. You know, he hasn't been doing this forever. And what I saw was a, a lack of, I, I guess, proper decision making. If you are on top of Francis Ngannou, you are not trying to just go for some or any submission. It seemed like he was he had in his mind that he was going to try to attack a leg. And maybe it was because he had those knee braces on or whatever. Or maybe he thought that Francis was susceptible to that or that that was his – maybe that's his move. But that wasn't the right decision. If you have Francis Ngannou on his back and there's a few minutes left, you stay on top of him. Chip right. away. That would have been the round. Literally one decision can change the fight, okay, especially at the highest levels in the UFC, championship on the line. If he decided to just put his chest uh, in the sternum of Francis Ngannou and just chip away body, head, body, head, he would have won that fight. Yeah. He would have won that fight. He decided to step back, go for that leg lock. Francis, again, very intelligently came up with it, used that momentum to get on top. Um, and uh, he, he had top control for the majority of that round and won it because of that. So – Big-time mistake there by Cyril Gaon yeah. that I'm sure is going to haunt him for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, that that is really where he failed. And I think – I don't think he was prepared for that takedown game. And I think he was exposed right. grappling-wise. He yeah. showed a lack of grappling skill. He yeah. showed that Ngannou was the better wrestler. So um, he's got some work to do, um, and I'm sure he'll be better because of it. So there was one point in time where it seemed as though, and we didn't get the whole 60 seconds of the between rounds, but Fernand Lopez wasn't necessarily imparting anything in terms of appreciable tactical advice. He was just saying, we can't lose this fight. It's impossible for us to lose this fight. And there was 
undeniably an emotional component to this fight for Fernand Lopez and for Ciro Gan, much more so than for Francis Ngannou. And that's just yeah. my read on the ground. You know, I think Lopez and Gan were both affected by the press conference. I think Gan was certainly affected by the fact that Francis wouldn't acknowledge him as a former te- teammate. Now, I'm not saying it reared its head in the fight, but Francis did say that Fernand Lopez's ego was going to rear its ugly head in this fight. And, you know, maybe to whatever degree it did. Um, But I just think that there were components to this fight, you know, um, 30 foot octagon pageantry fans, non COVID protocol. I mean, there were just a lot of different things that maybe Sirogan wasn't accustomed to. And I think that, um, you can't necessarily make excuses on that front, but, um, I don't know, man, you know, I think it was a lot for him to deal with. And I, I, I do think he's going to come back a, a different fighter, but there's work to be done. There's no doubt. I think so as well. And and you bring up a great point about coaching, right? I think that any time, and I've never been in that situation, but I can imagine, and I've seen it with other fighters and I've heard other coaches talk about this and project this on their fighters, which is a horrible thing to do. But if you're going against a, a former student, a former, um, you know, fighter or whatever, and now you have a new guy. You know, you think about that emotional attachment there and you start projecting that on your student like you have to win. This is so important. We got to shut this guy up and blah, blah. And that doesn't help you with that. No, like you're you're fighting a dude who you already want to beat. Like you don't need any more motivation than the guy who's out there trying to take your head off. And to put that extra pressure on a guy. Yep. It can shut him down and, and can almost feel like now you're taking on the responsibility, uh, you know, or that pressure that your coach has. You're putting that on your back yeah. and now fighting with that, which can really yeah. uh, debilitate you as a fighter. You put that well. And I do think and I love Fernand that he did maybe inadvertently add some extra pressure. And by his own admission, he said he had the most to lose. And by the way, he did thank me for the uh, the Anakin Florian podcast. Award. Hey, so uh, <laughs> Fernand Lopez paying attention um, before we get back to Francis in terms of who is next for Seattle gone. And maybe this is me just channeling my inner Joe Silva. And certainly I think gone is a guy in France that they want to build back up. And again, I think the world of Seattle gone, particularly as a human being. But I'd give him Curtis Blades in a five-round main event like fucking this. I'd be like, let's see, right? I'm going to give you the most decorated wrestler in UFC heavyweight history, the guy with the most takedowns of all time, for more reasons than one. I don't think there are a ton of obvious matchups right now. I mean, if Tommy Aspinall gets by Alexander Volkov, I think a Gan Tom Aspinall eliminator of sorts as a main event makes the world of sense. But Sidogam fought Alexander Volkov, so if Volkov wins, that's not an option. I don't believe Blades has a fight. Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa are fighting. Like, I'm doing Sidogam versus Curtis Blades, and hopefully he gets 12 weeks of wrestling and a lot of big bodies to get ready for uh, for Curtis Razor Blades. What do you think about the immediate, if not long-term, future for Sidogam? Yeah, listen, and, and Stipe Miocic, of course, waiting in the wings as well, who has that wrestling background. Yeah, so I think that for... Cyril Gan, he needs to go back to the drawing board and reconstruct his game a bit. Get get judokas, get wrestlers in there uh, that he can work with to improve his takedown defense, his takedown offense, and kind of go back and look at that fight and and see where he made those mistakes and how he can improve in those areas. I think that you know it wasn't like it was a lot of mistakes necessarily, but there were critical ones, and I think you know. It could expose maybe not a lot of gaps, but some big ones, right? So yeah. those are the ones that you need to really shore in because, yeah, I mean, that would be a big-time vulnerability if you were to face yeah. someone like a Curtis Blades or a Stipe Miocic. 
that's the problem with staying champion for so long is that you know the more people that fight you the better the blueprint gets for the other guy. People are looking at those weaknesses. Like, okay, that worked, that didn't. That worked, that didn't. That worked. So, you know, for Cyril Gaon, you know, maybe even for Francis Ngannou, you got to look at those things and constantly get better because everybody's watching that division. Yeah. I don't think Stipe is going to fight Cyril Gaon. With respect, right? Stipe has been calculated. He's fought once a year. He hasn't fought since last March. I don't think you take a year off to fight the interim champ coming off a loss. He I wants Ngannou. Or, yeah, right. I mean, I think he wants Francis or John Jones. If it's a non-championship situation for Stipe, it's got to be John Jones. So we'll see what happens. You know, Francis Ngannou potentially might never fight for the UFC again. I mean, there's so many different layers to that. Um, I would like to see Francis Ngannou fight Stipe um, because they are 1-1. What do you think about Francis Ngannou? It's easy for us to sit here and say he wouldn't be competitive in a boxing setting against Tyson Fury, so I'm not sure I want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why you would switch to boxing other than monetary reasons, and I guess that would be the why, right? I, he's yeah. 35 years old. I want him to get that life-changing money, of course. Um, but now that he's such an outstanding wrestler and grappler, I say that's on my tongue. Now that he, you know, probably – has all these good emotions about wrestling and grappling. Why are you going to go fucking box now? Stay with right. us. Right. Well, the thing is, it's like, you know, for, for mixed martial arts fighters, they should be sticking to what they do best. You know, it, it is. It's enticing. You want to go out there and you want to get that big money. But, um, you know, that's just not what you do. You know, mixed martial arts fighting is completely different than boxing. Yeah. Um, you know, and Ngannou has that kind of. Uh, power where he perhaps he could do well. Tyson Fury, though, is, is one of the best heavyweight boxers that I've seen. Um, and uh, it would be a very difficult matchup for him. I agree on that front. Um, if we could talk about John Jones for a second, yeah. because I think for those of you who, who may have been, you know, dismissive of John Jones or thinking that maybe uh, he wouldn't have a chance, I think. This fight helped John Jones in a lot of ways because you look at John Jones, his experience, his uh, his skills everywhere, um, his ability to perform under big time pressure. I, I, again, I, I don't know. I don't know if Cyril Gaon or Francis Ngannou beats John Jones. I, 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 I think, you know what I mean? I, I think this this made that fight, I think, more possible. Yeah, uh, and and much more interesting in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, you know, Francis again. Francis can knock out anybody in the world if he catches yeah. them. But John Jones, I think, is is still a different type of animal, and I'm really curious to see him compete in the heavyweight division. In terms of that fight happening, Francis Ngannou versus John Jones, promotionally, it's one of the biggest fights that can possibly be put together. To me, it just feels like a dream, right? Like, I'm not worthy, right? Like, are they really going to get John Jones and Francis Ngannou in there for International Fight Week in July? I got to see it to believe it. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you're asking me, like, what's the bigger fight right now, Stipe versus Francis or John Jones versus Francis? I mean, I think they're both great options, but... um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would certainly wet my fucking beak with both of those. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we need to hit on? I guess we're going to get to Ray Longo. Ray Longo not thrilled with the early start time today. Uh, our producer, Cody, is a man in high demand, so he had an early call time today. So this is one of the few morning episodes of the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm trying to pull up the text from Ray. Uh, I'm predicting gets- that uh, Longo's going to have a hat on. There's no way he took a shower and is prepared by now. You know, yeah. his hair's not ready for this. I don't think. Certainly. I don't know. Certainly didn't brush his teeth, Kenny. 
So, uh, Ray, Cody has to be done taping by 11 a.m. or so tomorrow. Any chance you can do 10.30 a.m. or is that too early? And he said, I'll be cranky, but let's do 10.30. So, uh, <laughs> all right. I love it. Cranky let's Ray's move my favorite. On. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so happy for Francis, by the way. I really am really happy for him. Um, I think a lot of people in the public eye, present company included, kind of feel perpetually misunderstood by people. You know, I think a lot of people maybe who watch us on TV compared to what they see here, right? A yep. little bit different. Um, so I'm really happy for Francis and for Eric Nixick and uh, and for the squad. All right. Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno are now 1-1-1 one, one, and one through three fights. Unanimous decision 48-47 times three goes to the now two-time UFC flyweight champion Davison Figueredo. That in and of itself is a tremendous accomplishment. Lose your belt. Rebuild. Gain it back. Aren't a lot of two-time champions. I mean, it's one thing to have a sustained championship run, but you know, Dominic Cruz coming back and winning his belt. Um, and one of the visuals I never thought I'd see in my life, Ken Flo, Davison Figueredo running up the stairs to get on a scale and weigh 124 pounds, juxtaposed against staring death in the face last yeah. June when Waleed Ishmael was legitimately concerned. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, what was a very hotly contested, close, competitive, not controversial main event or co-main event? What a fight. What a damn fight between two savages. You know, um, you know and, and we all knew that. I mean, that's just the way that those guys are built. That's the way that they fight. Um, for me, I, I thought it was back and forth. I, I thought it was very close uh, myself. I, I need to go back and watch it again. Uh, but I don't have a problem with Davison winning. You know, some people was like, Moreno definitely won the fight. No, no one definitely won the fight, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought it was super close, but um, both guys, I, I thought, fought brilliantly. Um, you know, Davison did all the all the work. It was clear from his weight cut to moving out and training with Henry Cejudo and the guys in Arizona. Um, it, he just looked on point. He looked focused. He was way more disciplined I think throughout that fight as well I think that's where he lacked uh in the previous fights he didn't seem so disciplined he seemed a little overly uh emotional that wasn't really the case for me here I thought he was really well prepared for Brandon Moreno I think he was exposing his head a little bit too much um I didn't like it even in the first round he kind of was holding his head high almost like he was trying to bait uh Figueredo in a little bit to try to get him on the counter it seemed but when you're doing that, it as the fight went on, I was like, no, 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 this is this is a habitual thing that he's doing. And as he's trading, that chin is starting to come up. And you cannot do that against a truly powerful puncher in Davison Figueredo. Brandon Moreno, Brandon Moreno can pop as well, but he doesn't have that same kind of punching power that Figueredo did. And Figueredo putting him on his butt. I think was the difference. He, even when Moreno was winning and then Figueredo would catch him, put him on his butt. And that was what it was, what was allowing him to steal those rounds in my opinion. So uh, yeah, I think the leg kicks were a little bit of a problem, but for me, Moreno uh, sticking his head up just a little bit and allowing Figueredo to land those big shots, I, I think was, was, was a major issue and something that absolutely needs to be rectified in the future. So I asked Davison Figueredo in the fighter meeting how hard it was being away from his now three-year-old son, Benicio, for what was really an extended amount of time. Mm. And he paused for what seemed like an eternity, and it looked like maybe he was crying behind sunglasses. And then he just said, it was very hard. 
and that was it. And I don't think people quite realize the sacrifice. They see this guy who, you know, will slit your throat or whatever and don't understand what he's dealing with. They spent 12 weeks alone, Ken Flo, just on distance management and trying to get him to understand risk mitigation and range. And, you know, it's just very interesting when you hear everybody talk about what they did and then you see it all sort of pay dividends in the fight. And the two things, I don't know if you heard me say this on broadcast, but Henry Cejudo's biggest value to Figueredo, patience, right? Like that, that I just kept hearing the word patience and game plan. You know, Davison's natural inclination is to just go out there, try to kill a man, not to necessarily stick to a game plan. So to fight your natural instincts, um, just couldn't have more praise for all of the individuals that he surrounded himself with and the individual commitment that he made to, to get his belt back. Those two things were the difference, really. I, I mean, fi- you watch Figueredo fight, you know he's got the talent, you know he's got the physical skills, he's got the mindset. I, I think those were the things that separated him from Moreno in this fight, uh, which was absolutely brilliant. Just beautiful mixed martial arts all the way around. The pacing, the pressure was awesome. Um, you know, truly a, a, a fun game of chess to watch out there between those two. Give me a fourth fight. I want to see it again. I, I think I think yeah. both these guys want it as well. Um, and uh, they're going to continue to entertain. And, you know, these guys could probably go back and forth for, you know, 10, 11 fights. Uh, I, I love it. I love the way they fight. Uh, two champions right there. Awesome to see. And, um, you know, I, I think that we will see it uh, for a fourth time. And you hear Brandon Moreno, even at the Thursday post-fight press conference, that candidly got a little bit weird for my liking, but Moreno's like, you're a good guy, man. And Figueredo is a good guy. And he's such a good guy, honestly, that he wants to fight him in Tijuana. You know, he doesn't want any home field advantage in Brazil. You know, this was going to be the toughest fight, I think, of Figueredo's career, honestly, to prove to himself um, that he could beat a guy. And by the way, the physical maturation of Brandon Moreno is insane. I mean, looks completely different, you know. Yeah. And that I thought was very interesting that technically Moreno's camp um, maybe felt so good about last June's fight that maybe they leaned almost – too much into just the strength and conditioning. You saw he was being coached right after the decision came out and he was waiting. Moreno was for his post-fight interview. He was already being coached about the things that he had done wrong. Um, If you think this was a robbery, um, you know, maybe you're either Mexican or you should turn in your card for watching mixed martial arts. You know, I thought it was close. I mean, when Daniel Cormier heard the decision, it looked like there was some surprise to my right from him that Moreno didn't win the fight. Um, But judges are so discouraged, Kenny, from scoring rounds 10-10 um, you're forced to pick a winner. Uh, you know, I don't know, man, I guess I would have to rewatch it to score it, but, um, you know, I just thought it was a close fight. And to your point, they got to do it a fourth time. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I I have no problem. I have no problem with Figueredo winning that fight. It absolutely could lay a claim to that. Yeah. He, I thought he fought brilliantly and at the critical moments when he needed to do something, he often did, and yeah, uh, right. you know, I, again, huge credit to Henry Cejudo, Eric Albarracin, and and those guys who really uh, had the best Davison Figueroa that I've ever seen. So, yeah, great yeah. stuff there. And you know, the captain Eric Albarracin, and I love hearing you say his name. I mean, the dude is fucking out there. You know, yeah. like. 25 years from now, if I'm even still alive and maybe even writing a book, like I probably put captain's name in there because this <laughs> MMA circus, this roadshow is filled with all of these different characters. And he's a really good individual. You and I got to know him obviously way back in the day, mm-hmm. but he's doing something right, man. I mean, look at all these world champions, you know, I don't know, man. I don't he's know. An, 
he's another guy, you know, not only does he have the technical knowledge coming from that wrestling background and competitive background, but he's another guy like Nixick who yes. says the right things. Yep. He knows how to get inside a fighter's head and say the right things and motivate them and have them focused. Real quickly in terms of the flyweight division, I really am glad it's stuck around. Uh, I really am excited to see these guys fight for a fourth time. I do think that's the direction in, with, in which they are going to go. Askar Askarov is fighting Kai Car France, mm-hmm. right? Now, it, what's crazy, and I said this on the post show, so if you heard this, I apologize if it's repetitive, but what's so crazy about this, you saw Figueredo was very thankful for this opportunity against Moreno because given the way the second fight went, this wasn't guaranteed. And had Askar Askarov or Alessandre Pantoja been healthy, those would have been the guys that got the opportunity against Brandon Moreno, which is fucking crazy. If you don't know, Pantoja has history with Moreno, submitted him on the Ultimate Fighter. But Moreno's never been finished as a professional. And then Pantoja beat Moreno by decision as a pro. So those guys have history. So Moreno, Pantoja, you know, Pantoja, this is sort of frustrating for him. Like he needed cleanliness of a Moreno win. So I think they do this for a fourth time. You know, I think Manel Kopp eventually is going to factor in this equation. There's probably a name or two that I'm forgetting. Um, But very interesting stuff in the UFC's uh, flyweight division. Um, all right, God, there's so many performances we have to get to. Like, we got to get to Jack Della Maddalena, and I just don't know if we're going to get the time. Perth is so far away from Miami. It gives me anxiety. Every time I say Della Maddalena, I think about an itinerary from Miami to L.A., L.A. to Brisbane, and then a five-hour layover before Brisbane to Perth. It's like 36 hours door-to-door. <laughs> all right, uh, Michelle Pereira over Andre Fialio by unanimous decision. I mean, this could have been the fight of the night as well. A lot of blood, a lot of high-level technique, a lot of heart. Grit, glory, guts, Ken Flo. What do you got for me on the featured bout at Welterweight, brother? <laughs> that was a fun fight, man. I, again, we, we we had talked about uh, the potential uh, for, for this fight and how exciting it probably was going to be. And, man, was it. Listen, P- Perea, for me, really impressed me. Um, I thought that, you know, coming back after that first round, um, you know, we were going to find out what he was all about. And we found out that this guy, he's got a lot of heart. He made the proper adjustments. He still stayed aggressive. He, he kept that aggression, but he just fought a little bit smarter um, and did what he needed to do, was really attacking the body again with those front kicks, which was a thing of beauty, uh, those blitzing attacks, and, and kept Filial from, from pressuring him. And, and he was backing up uh, Filial, which I thought was brilliant. So um, I, I thought those adjustments were critical. I, I think it's going to be a key fight in his evolution as a fighter. He is a phenomenal athlete, man. The way that he moves and how fast he is as a welterweight. I mean, there are very few uh, bantamweights that are as fast as he is, truly. I mean, his speed is phenomenal to watch. Maybe not the most powerful guy as far as knockout power, but it's speed that kills. And his his variety in his weapons and how he does it is phenomenal. He still needs to shore up his defense when it comes to grappling. That needs to be sharper. It needs to be better. But the fact that he was able to deal with that pressure, make the adjustments, I think this was a critical point in his career for him to gain confidence and momentum moving forward yet again. And uh, awesome fight. Awesome fight. I'm really happy for Michelle Pereira. Again, another good guy. You get to know these guys in the fighter meetings. Four straight wins for him. And, uh, you know, he really embraces the spotlight and fight night. And he sort of says to us in a humble moment, he's like, I'm celebrating the end of training camp, motherfuckers. Right? Like when I'm walking out, Hayes in the barn, the hard work is done. Like I'm celebrating that I get to go showcase my skills. Now, in terms of doing that, I'd like to see him highlight Chase a little bit less. And I don't know if if he's ever going to be able to chase those stripes. But 
there was a, a time in this fight where he landed some bombs with his hands on Fialio. He had him sort of crumbling his way up against the fence and he chooses to throw a flying knee. And if he just stays with the hands there, I think he gets his knockout. So I think there are moments where he has guys on the ropes and then for some reason, you know, he wants to do a, you know, he wants the the knockout by cartwheel kick or something, you know? <laughs> so I, I do think that he, he, he needs to stop highlight chasing, but other than that, no complaints. He's outstanding. I- I think that's a great point. I, I think that was really what plagued him early on in his UFC career, right? Uh, it's still with him. I think it's what makes him so dangerous, you know, having that flash or having that, you know, uh, allure of, of being a little bit fancy when he doesn't necessarily need to. Need to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some more fundamentals should have come into the play, uh, come into play there, but I, I don't know. It, it's hard to put a leash on a guy like that. Right. I think you have because you have to allow that creativity and that flash to come out because that's who he is. But I agree, there were times where if he just kind of sat down on his on his punch and threw a a, a right cross, he would have got the knockout. So yeah, it, he's got to go back, watch some footage with his with his coaches, and see what is going to be the best approach in those moments. Yeah, you put it well. I mean, there are two things for me in that moment, right? Energy expenditure, long-term. How yes. much does it take out of you to throw a flying knee versus throw a punch? And then the percent chance that it lands. Like, you're giving Fialio a chance to, and I love Andre too, but it's like you're giving him a chance to get back in the fight because there's probably a 15% chance that that flying knee lands right on the button. It's like a switch-up fucking high-level, high degree of difficulty move. I think it's a it's a great point, dude. And also, like against a guy like a filial, like what happens if he comes back into the fight? Like you miss that opportunity. He's too dangerous of a guy and has too yeah, good of a chin yeah. to let him back into the fight. So yeah. when you have guys hurt like that, you want to make sure that they're not able to get back into the fight. Yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of people who were bullish on both sides of this bout between Saeed Nurmagomedov and Cody Stamen. Mm. Bilal Muhammad on these very airwaves on Remember the Show thought this was Nurmagomedov easy, you know, and not because his last name was Nurmagomedov, right? Then on the other side, you got handicappers every which way trotting out Cody Stamen plus 170. My God. A mm. um, lot of angles to what was a very quick 47-second fight. I know Stamen is massively disappointed in terms of this result and his execution. But Saeed Nurmagomedov is a fucking G. Bonus, um, he'd been out a while, so he's sort of the forgotten man a little bit in the Bantamweight division. And I can't wait to see what uh, what Shelby or Maynard or whomever does with him next because he is a problem. He's a problem. He's a big-time problem. Um, you know, he... Uh, I love his style, you know, his ability to go out there and both have to be fundamentally sound and to have that flash and to go out there and finish you in a variety of ways. Like if you're, if you're a guy who's going to fight him next and you look, you're looking at that last fight against Cody Stamen, you're like, right. right. How, how, how am I going to beat that guy? He didn't do that to some guy making his UFC debut. He did that against Cody Stamen, dude, a guy who has been around the block and yeah. back, yeah. a guy who's a very good wrestler. He knows his submission game. He's a dangerous striker as well. Uh, and he made it look easy, man. Like that was easily Saeed's best performance of his career. He is someone to watch. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of guys lining up to fight that guy right now. I mean, he, boy, did he deliver. Just incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, Cody Stamen was 19-4-1 going in. 
Bantamweight is just on fire. I mean, my goodness, you know, there have been times in the past where people have talked about doing special cards where you would just have, you know, the whole main card would be Bantamweight fights. And I believe Joe Silva did it one time. If memory serves, UFC 146 with the all heavyweight main card. Yep. I think it was Mir Dos Santos in the main event, but gosh, Go look at the top 20 or so at 135 pounds. It's absolutely insane. Um, So on a night in which four fighters from Brandon Moreno's Antrim gym competed, the only one to win was 22-year-old Michael Morales out of Ecuador. Ended up being a pick-em fight at close against Trevin Giles, who was a divisional newcomer. And Morales is really an interesting story. Wrestling chops, both parents, judo black belts, lifelong martial artist, but still just 22. Got an opportunity to leave Ecuador moved to Tijuana, joined the Entrum Gym, got the opportunity, packed and left the next day. He's been there for a year. This was a really difficult test, I thought, for a UFC debut, kicking off a pay-per-view. And, um, man, did he pass this test with flying colors. I, 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 It's amazing to see somebody at 22 years old come in and maximize a showcase like this. It's awesome. You know, again, I, I had the opportunity to see those guys work together. They are super close. The whole team, they're all pushing each other. They're all extremely motivated individuals who are training hard two, three times a day. Um, and they believe in the system that, that they're in, you know, and of course with Brandon Moreno as well, former champion now uh, leading the way, uh, they know they have the right blueprint, the right game plan to move forward and um, and rise up those ranks in the UFC. So um, they really have put together a great camp. I'm not surprised by that result. Uh, he's been working hard and, and uh, awesome to see. By the way, how about Brandon Moreno, since you just brought him up again, um, owning that loss like right away, right? While so much of the fan base is like, man, you won that fight. He's like, yeah, maybe he landed the more powerful shots. It's pretty rare, I think, to see a guy own like a, a close championship loss in that moment the way he did. Dude, what what made what makes Brandon great is the fact that he's always improving. Uh, you don't get better unless you're looking at yourself, unless you're really analyzing and being critical and having good people around you that are telling you what you're doing wrong in the fight. And uh, Moreno is a humble dude. He he comes from um, you know a place where he had to work hard for everything, and he'll he'll be able to see things like that with clarity. And I think the fact that he's saying that immediately after the fight says a lot about who he is and. Uh, I expect to continue to see a, a better Brandon Moreno next time out. And you really got to be careful suggesting that a fighter is overconfident, especially if you're me, the non-athlete, you know, it, it does too confident sound softer. I just think he just did not think there was a man in the world at, at 125 pounds that, that could beat him. And, um, you know, he's so sort of buoyed by the fact that he can't be finished. You know, I just think yeah. there's this aura of invincibility and I think this is going to be good for Brandon Moreno, but yeah, yeah. they got to fight for a fourth time. All right. Cody's telling me not to shortchange Victor Henry. Like, Ooh, Cody, yes. Did, I mean, did, did you watch the post fight show? He's my new favorite fighter. Uh, La Mangosta, the mongoose trained under the great Josh Barnett. I mean, that's a memorable UFC debut. Haoni Barcelos has flirted with the rankings, beats him 30 to 27 as like a plus 375 underdog. Good on Victor Henry. What do you make of the Southgate California product making good on the debut? He wasn't on my radar. He is now. Yeah. Um, Barcelos can wrestle. He can strike. He has experience. Um, and I, 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 did not know what to expect really from Victor Henry. What I saw in Victor Henry is a guy who was extremely well-schooled, who was very intelligent, who was slick and calm under pressure. 
uh, I came away extremely impressed because it seemed to me like he knew exactly what he needed to do in the right moments. He was making the proper adjustments, yet he was never getting shut down through that analysis. He would push back forward. He would land the shots that he needed to do uh, land in order to win the round um, and just making all the right decisions. To me, it seemed like he was a guy with 15, 20 fights in the UFC. You don't see guys make a UFC debut like that and do it against an experienced killer like Barcelos. Uh, and it was almost like very matter of fact, like he's like, that's what I expected to do on to the next. Let's go. Um, so brilliant, brilliant performance. Josh Barnett, uh, a very intelligent guy who, of course, has fought at the highest levels all over the world. Uh, I- I'm not necessarily surprised uh, by that, that they can produce guys like that. But I think they've kind of coached each other over the years. So, yeah. uh, again, awesome to see Victor Henry's a guy to watch, man. Awesome performance. So, so the action man, Chris Curtis, I think it took him 26 wins to get to the UFC. It took Victor Henry 21 wins to get to the UFC, so to speak. But you could argue that if Chris Curtis had gotten to the UFC in 2015, then maybe he wouldn't still be in the UFC. When he got there, he was ready to beat guys like Phil Hawes and Brendan Allen. I don't know about Victor Henry, you know. I kind of feel like maybe he would have been ready, you know, three, four years ago. And he just sort of was calm about the fact that eventually he was going to get to the UFC. But like, how does someone like you who three times fought for a UFC title, like quantify Victor Henry's ceiling at Bantamweight now? Because, you know, Rogan pulled off the cans and was like, what's Barcelos's ranking? And I'm like, he's not ranked. And he's like, what? Like, so... Like, how good can Victor Henry be? And, like, rhetorically, I'd ask, like, why wasn't he in the UFC already? You know, dude, uh, Victor Henry could absolutely be an elite, uh, you know, bantamweight, uh, bantamweight, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. Okay. I'm going to make sure I got that right. Uh, yeah. No, Victor Henry's a guy who probably could have been in the UFC earlier. But, John, the most common question I get is, how many fights should I have? When do you think is the right time for me to be in the UFC? And I always say, Probably five fights after you think you should be in the UFC is usually my answer because getting that experience outside of the UFC is huge. You want to be ready to go straight away. So, um, you know, I think for Victor Henry, he is clearly ready. Um, He was ready for the for the bright lights of the UFC. He was ready for Barcelos. And this is a guy that I will not be surprised if he's a top 10, top five guy in the bantamweight division. I think he's that good. Uh, and especially again, that was his UFC debut came away. Yeah. Very impressed. All right. Well, good news is Ray Longo has answered the wake up call for 10 30 AM Eastern on a Monday. Now, if you don't know, Ray Longo worked extensively with Matt, the steamroller Frivola during his 14 week training camp. I mean, Frivola has had all these crazy circumstances in his UFC career, losing opponents left and right short notice, right? He was supposed to fight Otman Azaitar and, always getting switched up. They're always giving him lefties on short notice when he prepares for righties. But this time around, he had 14 weeks and he worked with Longo extensively on shoring up his defense and movement and everything else. And then Longo can't pass his COVID test. So if you didn't see Longo in the corner, I was trying to figure out because he had worked so closely with Ray over the last 14 weeks, how I was going to softly mention this on the broadcast. And so I think what I said was that Longo wasn't able to get past the COVID test. So unfortunately, he's not here. Ray, it's great to see you on a Monday morning. I don't know if you heard me say that on the broadcast, but um, I oh, hope you're okay with my messaging. Good to see you. Oh, definitely. Listen, this one, this one was really mild, man. I'll be honest with you. But uh, you know what's funny? I had gone Monday. I go to get my COVID test. I get the PCR. 
and uh, comes back Tuesday negative. So I sent it to Frivola. Uh, I'm on my way. Well, let me say Monday I got it at 2 o'clock. They put an expedite on it. It came back negative. But Monday night, my throat started feeling a little bad. And I had a bunch of buddies who had it that said the throat is like it's on fire. You got, it sucks, you know. But so I'm like, oh, man. So I attack it right away, not with anything crazy, just like yeah. Mucinex, Flonase, whatever I get, you know, I got. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't go in Tuesday. I go, let me just play it safe. I got to get on a plane Thursday. And then it's, yeah, on a scale of one to two, it's mild. It's like a, a two maybe, you know. Right. So I'm like, eh, what? let me just take the rapid test then. Because I don't want it because I'm not vaccinated, so – I'd have to get tested when I got there. So I could screw up the kid's fight. That's the issue. And he's had to deal with a lot of shit already when it comes to that. So like we could. Yeah, so this that. is the issue. So now I'm panicking. I'm like, I can't, I oh. want to fuck it. He, he did have a great camp. I, you know, not that I'm not saying extensively, but I was with this guy long enough to, that we had, we had a good time this camp. I mean, I really enjoyed his craziness and uh, he's just a great kid. But anyway, yeah. so now I'm testing positive with the rapid test Wednesday I test positive Thursday I go let's just can we switch my flight to Friday because I don't feel bad I just my now my throat's even gone the throat lasts for like a day maybe yeah. Yeah. and then that's gone and I'm like I don't know but let's just say what the, the problem is that if I was vaccinated I'm at the fight and I'm spreading COVID for sure because yeah. I didn't feel bad Right. You know but what I mean? That's the that's issue. Point. I don't know what the fuck California was doing. So I would have been good if I was vaccinated. Yeah, right. I already got my test. I was getting right. on the plane. Right. You know, if I just, you know, I just, because of what's happened to Frivola, I was extra careful. Yeah. And I go, I can't, I, I can't do this. And then I had to call him and go, hey, look, man, we had a great camp. Just do what you do. And he's good with that. That's one thing. Like, he's really not a high maintenance type of guy. He's just a nice kid. And he really, uh, not, I'm not saying he got to show it, but he did tune up a lot of things and he had great sparring yeah. in camp and pe people saw the difference. And I, I'm just, I'm just happy for him because he was, I think his back was against the wall. It yeah. was his last fight on his contract and he right. had lost he two in a that. row. So I really don't want to, you know, take any chances with him. And he's like, again, he's a great kid. He's got a great wife, great family, the whole thing. So yeah. I'm glad it worked out good for, I couldn't have been happy at all, man. I, but, yeah. I saw him at the airport. Bet on himself, hoping to get a new four-fight contract from the UFC. My twin brother came out for UFC 270, and when he was trying to decide whether or not to go, one of the things that actually pushed him over the edge was the fact that Longo was going to be there. So needless to say, he was disappointed. As our viewers are right now because they can only see half your fucking face. I mean, do you mind? <laughs> and I'm the asshole, right? Right? Like – like oh, wait. Longo's not a dick for every week coming on here and refusing to center up his mug. I'm the asshole for calling him out for it. Right? Right? No, seriously. No, no, you're just the asshole. You don't have to call him out. <laughs> really just is. the way it is. I mean, look, there's there's three guys in the room. Somebody's gotta be the asshole. John. That's right. 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 Yeah. Somebody's getting just killed. By odds. The odds of life. Absolutely amazing. Perpetual. Well, let, let me just say something. I heard you talk about that kid, Henry. Fantastic. Oh. Let me tell you something. The way he was rolling big punches, absolutely phenomenal. Slick. Absolutely phenomenal. Mongoose, I mean, man. The fucking mongoose. He did All unbelievable. Right. All right. So uh, I want to ask you about Francis Ngannou and Seattle Gunn. 
what did right. you make of the fight? And uh, I'll lay out and let you talk. Uh, give me a hint. What do you, like, what, what do you want me to say? Oh, you want a more specific question? Well, yeah, the I mean, the guy looked like, you want me to say he looked like Fred Astaire with his footwork? What do, what do you want me to say? Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, how surprised were you after two rounds to that God? he laid on him? I don't, yeah, he, I mean. That he, that he fell on him and laid on him? <laughs> <laughs> What do you just ask me something specific? Was I, <laughs> I, I picked Gon to win by decision, right? And if the guy didn't have the fight IQ of a clothespin, he would have definitely won. I, I don't, what do you want me to say about the uh, fight? Uh, Why did he go for that leg lock, Ray? Why did he do it? Kenny, he let me just tell you stayed something. On top and what? Ah, Kenny, man. come on, man. If I would have went absolutely apeshit, and I'll tell you what ah. happened, but, but yeah, first off. Unless you're Kenny's guy, Ryan Hall, you just don't do that. He's the only guy that does it. That's it. Nobody else. Him, the other guy, Paul Harris. Remember him? Right, right. Yeah, yep. yeah that leg would have been gone. Yeah. Who's the Marpliatis? So here's but, a tweet uh, from John Jones. If this is the apex of heavyweight fighting, I'm excited about it. Got some more records to break. So when I'm doing the post show and I see that tweet, right? If this is the apex, what is that fucking noise? Oh, that's the <laughs> you know, even, this, my do- even my dog thinks you're right, an asshole. There you like go. That. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> unbelievable. I actually almost called you before the show because, in all seriousness, I'm dealing with like a rib and chest injury. And I was oh, going to call you and be like, hey, man, like if I don't laugh today, don't be sensitive because it just fucking kills me every time I laugh. <laughs> if this is the apex of heavyweight fighting, I'm excited about it. Like, that's a great fucking quote, is it not? That's a great quote. Yeah, I, I look, I, I'm, I can't argue with him. Look, I, let, 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 wait, let me, let me, let, let me say this. Francis was injured, and and it showed. Yeah. Lucky, you agree with that or no? <laughs> he wants to get awarded. He definitely does. Yeah. Oh, man. oh the dog is now on camera. <laughs> what do we do? The, why don't we do the interview like this? That's fine. Keep talking, please. <laughs> At least the um, dog probably have the decency to center. his. Yeah, look, look, France, Francis had a knee injury, John. I mean, there wasn't I don't even know if there was a punch landed standing up by. Uh, I don't It was just a, it was a I, I think John Jones, as much as I don't like him, I think he's. Damn, I, mean, I think he's got every. Uh, uh, what is going on today? If your public approval rating wasn't so high, I think some people would be like, "All right, this is starting to get annoyed," you know. But they all love you. Wait a minute. What's the dog's second. name? Lucky. We're we're trying to do a fuck podcast, Lucky. All right, look, I get. John. Again, he, he wants raised attention. He's not liking the, the holy shit. On. Yeah, I might have to. I might have to get crazy over here. But anyway, uh, so you didn't like the man. Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, look for a heavyweight fight. You know, I think of like a Mike Tyson. You know, getting moving his head, getting in yeah. there, swinging for the fences, going exciting. Just wasn't exciting. I don't. I don't know. It was it was? It was more that Cyril Gunn lost that fight. That that's the problem. You know, yeah. what I mean, like he was. I, I the the takedown stuff was was beautiful. Yeah, he be be mixed that in. Uh, you know, we saw some high-level grappling and jujitsu down there, which was good. Huh. 
I mean, I, is it, that it? I mean, is this what you guys can I say anything and you'll just no, sit I there mean, and listen? No, seriously. <laughs> oh, Ray's sarcasm is great. I mean, come on. Oh, man. Oh, this is like, see, this is go. we should, Ray. Let's here's go. the problem is you, you got on the show at like around 10 30, 10 40, and Cranky Ray is the best Ray. We, we're gonna do this all the time. We're gonna wake you up every morning now. Oh, no, I'm horrible, early. right? Now, Kenny, this was it's bad. The best. No, plus, yeah. it, it was five days of some sort of sickness. I don't know. Okay, that was fair but enough. yeah, I don't know. It reminds me of an old saying if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there, like there's like two trees falling in a forest. Did you hear anything, John? I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear a thing, but Ray and Ghana <laughs> was so sluggish and listless early that you could tell that he was afraid to really sit down on anything. Do you disagree? Yes. No, totally. Look, I, I, I I did a uh, fight breakdown. I said, look, I think it's going to be like the black beast. I think it's a revisit, but a little more exciting. No, yeah. You did call that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the thing, the the way it was, you know, and again, and I was like, I don't know. Well, again, yeah. just ask me something specific. It so, was, Ray, I, how, how about this? How about this? guy, man. <laughs> how about this? Listen, yeah. are, are you impressed with at least the fact that Francis, right, we had never had to see him really use his grappling skill out there, right? And, and yes. it, not that it was the, the prettiest thing in the world, but he got it done. And he did it in a time where, you know, his – He's in a big time contract dispute with the UFC. He had all that pressure in the world. Seemed like he tore his ACL and MCL is what I heard. Um, so he was dealing with a lot of shit. The fact that he was able to pull this off, that's yes. got to be impressive though, right? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. No, look, look, let, let, I'll get serious. No, the fact that he was able to even change where we know in the beginning of his career, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, it w- was really good, I, but it, it does look. First off, I like Francis. This, uh, this is nothing to do. I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm just being, I'm just trying to be entertaining. I'm not, uh, no, this is no, no bias or nothing. He's got, you know, a good camp and great, great. Seems like a nice guy. It pains me that pit. I listened to his press conference, man, and just, it's just not happy. Like it's just, it, it's not, yeah. a, it just wasn't a good look. Like you know what I mean? It's kind of sad to me. It wasn't the way a heavyweight fight right. should be, where you're excited. And, you know, uh, right. You know, I thought maybe it was going to look like at one point during the fight, I thought it was going to look like uh, Wilder versus Fury. You know what I mean? I thought this guy could, you know, head movement and make him look bad and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know? So Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno go the distance. You get up, perhaps get a Grey Goose and Soda. Who do you think has won that fight or do you truly not know? Man, that's a that's tough. I mean, I think it was. I think uh, Moreno uh, said it. I think it was volume against impact. You know, I mean, the yeah. other guy's shots just looked like they had more of an impact. So that's going to be hard to judge against. You know, and it right. wasn't like it was crazy volume where he was way out in front of him, and then that was happening. So, uh, man, I like I like Brandon Moreno. I I. I think they got the right guy. I don't know. That was a tough one. That I'd really yeah. have to go back and look at it. But those knockdowns did not look good. Uh, right? Nothing crazy happened on the floor. The scrambles were good. They were back up to their feet. That was a tough fight to judge, man. The guy was landing the calf kicks. You know, that's a I, – I think they got that one right. So we have never seen fighters – 
compete four times against one another in the octagon, never mind doing it four times successively, right? Even in past trilogies, I don't know that we've ever had guys fight each other three times in a row, Ken Flo, as we've had in this series. I think that's yeah. actually a fact. So what do you think? I mean, do you think they rebook these guys in like six months in Tijuana? Like, what do you think they do? I think that I think we're seeing a fourth fight. So I think because no matter cool. who won, I do think people want to see the fight, right? I mean, that that's I would watch that fight again. Yeah. Um and it's uh yeah, that was why who who'd you guys think won that fight? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I thought it was close. I thought it was close. No, it was I have no close. I have no problem with Figueroa winning that fight. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's one of it's one yeah. of those. I, I My think. issue is that I would like to see all the 10-10 language removed from the scoring. Just tell the judges you can't score around 10-10. What am I missing? Why do they need to have the right to score around 10-10, right? Because judges are so discouraged from scoring around 10-10. It's almost like they're being threatened without being threatened. Like if you score around 10, 10, you're probably not getting asked back to the next show. They want you to pick a fucking winner. You're there to judge. So just take the language out, you know, because yeah. sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the rounds are so close. And even though you're right, like the damage really should outweigh the volume, you know, but when you have a really close round, like in a five round fight, like a judge has to have the right, to score round 10 10 Sal Diamato scored round one and Francis gone for Francis. Oh, Cody didn't like that particular scorecard. All right. Um, no, that, that, that's wrong. He was definitely up to zero going in there. So, um, all right. Anything else for us on you? Well, let's, let's talk about how good the, uh, the steamroller did. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy was phenomenal. Absolutely yeah, that's a guy, phenomenal. That's a guy that looked like he was fighting for his job. No. Yeah, I got to meet his dad, oh, yeah. Sal the Bulldozer Favola, by the uh, way. He was, so he was the one who broke the news that. to me about your uh, COVID-19 positivity. Fucking bullshit, man. But no, I feel very happy for Matt. And it is amazing, too. You see a guy at the airport, right? Just the lack of glamour. And, you know, the guy wins a fight. Absolute warrior. You know, hands and feet so swollen. You know, Billy Q and Matt Arroyo are going to Florida or whatever the fuck they're going. Buffalo, <laughs> New York, right? Uh, Billy Q probably went to Kansas City for the divisional playoff game, right? But his dad's not around. He's got all his gear himself. You know, it's just, it's an interesting thing, man. You know, you see these guys, you know, and um, I'm really happy for Matt because obviously nah, he you know, might be out. Yeah, and I'll tell you, like, again, I had a really fun time with him uh, this time. He is a he is a character, but what a, what a sweet kid. It's just... You know, I, I, that almost got me. I almost went backwards because I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I, oh, was, I'm sure I went out of my mind. And then I was like, holy crap, maybe I wasn't ready for that type of emotional outburst. And <laughs> for Bola, I mean, we talk about, we gave Davison Figueredo a lot of credit earlier for just fighting maybe his instincts that are to fight in a more uh, Frivola-like way. And I think for Matt, it's just hard, right? He has such a passion for the exchanges, as Rogan always says, that, um, you know, his fights are, I mean, he's a promoter's dream, but, you know, yeah, fights yeah, are yeah. seemingly always turning out this way. He's going to, but but he, he, I do believe he's going to round the corner on that. He, he really showed so much improvement in the sparring and uh, being patient yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah. he did get dragged into a little bit more of a fight. <laughs> <laughs> that we want to, but that that look, that's the way that guy fights. Yeah. He comes forward, he's a crazy man, you know, he tries to push you against the cage, get the takedown, I think. So we knew it. Uh that's why I just wanted the footwork, maybe a little more footwork to 
Diffuse yeah. that a Hard little bit. Hard to fix that overnight. Hard to fix that oh, overnight. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's in but, his DNA, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But this was but we were but he was working for a long time. We did have a it was a long camp. So like it, you don't always have to be like, you know, like in camp. Like I just made him go to the boxing class like for the first month. So where he couldn't do anything but really work on how to roll punches and you know, just yeah. isolate that part of it. And I think that really did him a world of good. I really do. I just really kind of broke it down and went right back to the basics. Didn't get complicated because he has a solid, solid right hand, solid right hand. And he's just got to be able to get it there without getting, you know, hit yeah. hard himself. And that's what he's working on. I think he's going to be fine, man. He, Cause he's got a very complete game and uh, he just calms down a little bit and picks his shots and makes guys miss a little bit right now. And he's going to be a different guy. Yeah, and Hanaro he Valdez, can get you out of there. You know what I mean? He can get you out with one punch. Valdez was an undefeated Mexican fighter, and uh, obviously he's got a hell of a shit on him and a bright future. So that's a big win for Matt Favola. Anytime you can take a guy's O, spoil his UFC debut, it's good stuff. All right, that's enough on the steamroll. I love the kid, but it's probably a good amount on him. What, yeah. what else you got? I was going to say, I did say earlier, do you know who has the most takedowns in UFC heavyweight history? If you don't know, it's Curtis Blades. That's who I'm giving Seattle gone. No question about it. It gave him all sorts of strikers. It gave him Biggie Boy, Jarzino Rosenstrike, gave him Alexander Volkov. Give him Curtis Blades. Oh, yeah. I right? agree Isn't with that you. What you do? I mean, right, Kenny? I mean, Dominic Cruz would always say, right, like the way they, they would methodically give him guys, you know, with the tests stylistically skill-wise that he had to pass en route to becoming a champion. And I think that's a test that's going to have to be passed, you know? I don't know. So, yeah, I take it you don't like Cyril Gunn. No, I don't like I want to improve that he can, you know. Why? Who do you like like better? Who do you like better, Francis or Cyril? I don't pick favorites. I like them both better than your dog. (laughs) Sabotaging my podcast today. Um, Listen, wait, the other thing where I thought was a big mistake and it could have been interpretation, I don't know, but when the corner was like, you can't lose this fight, you can't, I mean, that guy got, if that was the case, I don't know this because the guy was speaking French, but if that was the case, he was way too emotional in that fight, and that could have been a problem, you know, Kenny. What you because totally. the guy, whoever was doing the voiceover, was like doing it in desperation. Like there was no, you can't yeah. lose this. You, you know, you could see this guy was so. It's impossible. Shape. Our lives depend on it. We yeah, must right. the fight. Uh, Viva France! You <laughs> son of a bitch, you. <laughs> well, no, imagine, you, can't, yeah. you can't put that on your fighter. I mean, imagine, imagine how your oh, fighter no, would react. Horrible. You're like, you need to do this for yeah, for me. Yeah. You know, it's like you yeah, can't. This is yeah. not right. Francis yeah. cannot win this fight. <laughs> oh, oh, au revoir, John. <laughs> we congratulate Jack Della Maddalena, Tony Gravely, Vanessa Demopoulos, and Jasmine Jazz Debisius as well. Holy what a shit, night! How yeah. about Vanessa? Wow, wait, wait, say those Apple names again. Uh, oh, you like the pronunciation? Jack Della Maddalena, Vanessa mm-hmm. Demopoulos, Jasmine Jazz Debisius. It's all wrecked John, that is unbelievable. Is that it, though, is unbelievable. To do a job. I'm amazed that people like, and I'm not naming any names, but will will not even ask and just go on television and get them wrong. <laughs> happens every weekend. It does. It's amazing. What are you talking about? Happens every amazing. every you know? Monday morning with me. What are you, insulting me now? <laughs> no, in front of, in front of the whole podcast. <laughs> That's the distinction. Right. Hey, look, we, we don't and, pay you to get the pronunciations correct. Like for, for a broadcaster, you're paid, among other things, I would think, to get the fighters names right. I don't know. Yeah. 
Oh, John, I always said, look, you're the consummate professional. But wait a minute, we also had our first stripper that got an armbar, Kenny. I mean, I'm sure that's not the first for you, but for the most of us, that was a, that was something new, you know? <laughs> that was a Kenny, good comeback, huh? To Kenny, let me tell you something. Holy yeah. crap. How does that go unnoticed, man? That girl got cold caught. And then yeah. and then hit hard and then ground and pound was no joke either. And then that jumped into tough. a split. I tore I tore both of my groins. I, I tore three groins after that when I saw that. That was uh, uh, that was painful. Knock it. Wow. Knock it. That was crazy. Impressed. It was no, really was crazy because cool. I do believe the other girl was motorboating her first before she got on board too. But I'm not sure. It was hard to see from the angle I was looking at, John. Maybe you picked that up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think a lot of our listenership doesn't know that term, motorboat. Oh my gosh! Uh, give them more credit. <laughs> give give uh, the loyal Minutemen more credit than you think. Oh, Ray. the Minutemen! No, I'm not talking about the Minutemen. <laughs> you know, our audience is skewing younger by the day, Ray. So, uh... all right. Uh, then I'm then I'm in trouble. <laughs> this ain't looking good. We have a treat or something we could give to the animal. <laughs> oh, does he need to go about. outside? Is he going to shit right now on your lap? No, definitely on? not. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for waking up early. How's that? How's Al Jermaine Sterling doing? It looks as though perhaps Jacksonville, Florida. Is that what I'm hearing? That would mean I could rent a car and drive to the pay per view. April 9th, Jacksonville, Florida. Wow. Yeah, hey. can't wait. That's awesome. exciting. You awesome. going to show up? Man, unless there's a new. Varyingo. It's so no, funny. This isn't, a, like, oh, no, no, this isn't a joke. You know, this isn't a joke, but not for nothing. But Longo's immunity to COVID jack shit. How's that? Natural. <laughs> Natural yeah, baby. Out. Right. No. Although I did get no the flu problem. shot no, no. this year. I wonder if that helped. Yeah. By the way, Frivola <laughs> will mention like Longo Weidman MMA. I was like so afraid to say anything that doesn't include Matt Sarah's names. So, Made sure to mention that he's got getting back in the gi with Matt Sarah, right? Team Sarah Longo. Make sure we don't offend uh, anybody. You know. Yeah, no, we're you know we're in a very uh, politically correct world, if you haven't noticed. But uh, yeah, yeah. Oh man. All right. Man. What else? We what else? It. Well, no. I mean, we got all. I mean, you woke that. me up for this. You watched the NFL yesterday? Absolutely not. Gosh, you're missing out. The most compelling. Really, I'm missing out. What yeah. am I missing out on? Oh, this is bad. Yeah. All right, what else we got? Any other uh, people are only calling it the best weekend of NFL football in history. Oh, is that what they're calling it? Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, well, I asked you how Aljo was doing. You didn't answer that question. You're asking me for more pointed questions. How do you have anything for us on Aljamain Sterling um, as he gets ready to fight Piotr Jan for a second time? And training camps probably starting, I would think, pretty soon here. If if there indeed is a specific camp. Yeah, he looked. Uh, he looked good. I saw him briefly. Okay, right. but that was it. But I was uh, under the weather. Certainly, uh, his confidence does not seem to be phased one bit by uh, by the how no. it went. So no, you know, you're definitely not going to phase his confidence. I think he made that pretty obvious the yeah. last year and a half. Yeah. And Marab Dwalish Willie, I don't know if you saw the video of Marab on the treadmill, like the warrior that he is. You know. Here, I'm so debilitated with this rib injury. This dude's got a clavicle that is in the worst shape, and he's doing, you know, 12 miles an hour uphill incline sprints on the treadmill. Well, you sure saw his x ray. It's completely broken. Yeah. Looked like a clean break, but uh, a mild, uh, you know, he's that guy from the Monty Python movie. 
for all the young fans. A mild flesh wound, Kenny. Yeah, let's just make sure he doesn't he doesn't go head first to any ponds, any frozen ponds or lakes. Please. He is that guy. He is that guy, Ray. You, you, you hit that well. All right, we got to get on out of here. Hey, hey, thanks for your time. Oh, you know what? The last thing I did have for you today, right, is, you know, I hear this noise like, oh, you know, professional boxers, whether it's Jake Paul or someone else, you know, it's like, oh, they talk all this shit, but they won't come to MMA. And it's like, yeah, because there's wrestling and grappling. Like, obviously, there have been MMA fighters that have been suggested to not go box like Ben Askren because the results won't be good, you know. But for most professional mixed martial arts athletes, Kenny and Ray, boxing is a part of what they are doing, whereas wrestling and grappling is totally foreign to these other guys. So to me, it's like it's easy to say, like, yeah, why don't you why doesn't Tyson Fury come to MMA? And it's like fucking because, okay, Francis Ngannou has been wrestling and grappling for almost a decade, you know? So even though Ngannou would be a massive underdog in a boxing setting, it's much easier to see why that would happen and why they wouldn't yeah. be MMA, you know? Yeah, right? that's, yeah, I think I agree with you on that. I mean, it's like, you come know. On. like I, yeah, I'd love to see it too, but James Tony, we saw it. Well, I mean, you got to remember, so it, it, and it's similar to wrestling. You see, you know, the MMA guys go and they do jujitsu matches, they do wrestling matches, they go outside of MMA, yeah, uh, but it's those guys. A lot of jujitsu champions aren't jumping into MMA either. A lot of wrestling champs are. You know, it's just the way it is. So you you put you put that pretty nicely. All right, well, stop it. All right, well, have a great day. Cody just wrote to me in the private chat. You can stretch, JA. Don't rush. I think that's actually sarcasm. I hope. Um, <laughs> I ain't never gonna stretch just to fucking fill air. Of that, I can assure I'll tell you. It's a, it's that big. Ken Flo's got a fucking radio interview at 11.15 a.m. Eastern anyway. So John, don't ex- John, John, don't excite yourself. You're hurt. Don't make it any You're right. worse. You're right. You're Seriously. Right. Um, all right. Hey, I love you. Um, all right. I really you guys are the best. I really, I'm pissed because I wanted to see you too, so know, that, that killed me. I was, I was so upset. Like, I went out of my way to try to find Sal the Bulldozer for Vola. And I didn't uh, even was know. excited. Friday, I was just assuming that you were coming in late. So, it ruined my whole day, but we will catch nah, up in, uh, in Jacksonville if not soon. Awesome, guys. All right, take it easy. I will see you. My man. See you, Rick. His hair looks pretty good. Looks like he got a haircut. Fucking dog. All right. <laughs> one thing I want to do today. So, you know, every year I pick one team that I think is going to win the Super Bowl, and I place a fairly large bet on that team. Now, this year it just so happened to be one of the New England Patriots' foremost rivals, so this is a ticket that I'm going to enjoy ripping up on the Anakin Florian podcast today a little bit. I do feel bad for Mark Henry and Billy Corantello and the Bills fans because they were 13 seconds away from beating the Chiefs, and I do think had they kicked the ball out of the end zone late, ran a few ticks, maybe they win the game. So this, from Circus Sports, this bet was placed... Uh, on July 11th, so for, I was out there for International Fight Week last year, $450 on the Buffalo Bills at 12-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. And they were one of the favorites for most of the season. And this ticket should still be alive. So it's $450 to win $5,400. So total payout to collect $5,850, or as my brother would say, total payout to collect is fucking zero. Um, so if you're, if you're just listening, you're not going to see this. But for the viewers, so there's the ticket, 12-1. to 1. 450 bucks cost. They were going to host the AFC championship against the Cincinnati Bengals had they won that football game last night. And I think we were probably going to win six G's. That's outstanding. <laughs> Rip it, it up. Works again. Works oh. again. And you can be sure at whatever price I'll be betting on the Buffalo Bills next year. We'll try to take them down again.
I, I used to question your your motives here. You know, you used to do. You've been doing this for years, but it's so smart because you, you win every single time, John. You either you're well, happy that they lose, right. or you make yourself some money and 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 you get a little win for the Patriots. I mean, not in this case, but you know, you see one of the rivals go down. I love it. I I think it's brilliant. Well, thank you, man. And you're right. Like I do soften the blow of a Patriots loss, but the craziest bet that I've ever placed, and people think this is insane, right? So when the Patriots came back to beat the Falcons in that Super Bowl, right? Oh my gosh. So the Falcons were up 28 to three, right? Sports books, I didn't even think they would be offering a live bet on the Falcons to win because they were up 28 to three. It was yeah. late in the second half. So I put $500 on the Falcons at that point in time to win $27. So that just shows you how pathetic my business That's really amazing. is, right? That at that point in time, I felt like, you know, I was trying to win $27. I'm trying to take the Falcons down. felt like the only way I could do it. I made a $500 deposit online and to pay $27. And, of course, I lost that bet. You know? Unreal. <laughs> but it worked. The Patriots won. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, next week, very excited for this. Um, we will certainly get predictions on UFC Fight Night for February 5th from James Krause and Ken Flo, but it's our intern sweepstakes. So next week, we are going to play all of your video submissions. Everybody knows who they are. Kenny and I will not see your videos until we see them live on the air. You've all been given 60 seconds. If you haven't submitted, better get on that. Um, and then the three of us are going to vote. Kenny, Cody, and I are all going to come up with the top three, and then we're going to determine who is the winner of the 2022 Anakin Florian podcast intern sweepstakes. So that is coming up uh, next Monday, January 31st. Uh, Ken Flo has been working for a long time on his Jiu-Jitsu Essentials video. That is now up on his YouTube channel, which is directly linked to the Anakin Florian podcast YouTube channel right here. Also, don't forget, remember the show back in your lives this Thursday night. Merchandise is still going strong at the Anakin Florian podcast store. You can go to AnakinFlorianPodcast.com. And thank you all for supporting the One More Sleep movement. Um, we got on a billboard in Times Square, Ken Flo. I don't know if Get you saw the post, but only because people supported the One More Sleep movement. Like we started selling merchandise at millions.co and we ended up being one of the top three sellers in 2020. That's awesome. So Hell we yeah. got on the billboard in Times Square and it's only because of the MMA fan base whom I'm eternally grateful for their support. So thank you guys very much. Outsold Bruce Buffer. You know, Buff's coming up to me. He's like, hey, Millions did you solid. Put you on Times Square. I said, we did ourselves a fucking solid. Fucking <laughs> selling one more sleep merchandise. Don't be doing anything. Shit is earned. By the All way, right. kudos again to Bruce Buffer not throwing down with Frank Trigg in, in the octagon. I thought it was going to get ugly, dude. I thought it was those guys have a history. And when you, when you, when you tweeted that, bro, I'm like, bro dying over here i saw that tweet absolutely golden stuff oh, out man. of uh, a normally hostile ken flow <laughs> all right we are back with you next monday intern sweepstakes and of course a preview of ufc fight night what's that main event jack hermanson and sean strickland is that the next one yes sir excited about that all right thanks to our producer cody merrill thanks to ray longo um lighting up the program as usual for ken flow i'm john anik we will talk to you next monday thanks for subscribing listening view and tell your friends you later
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So when you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel a touch overwhelmed. Perhaps you're not showing up the way that you would like to. I can certainly relate. You know, there's a phrase in the song, there's no business like show business, and it says there's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. And for me, being in the public eye has been challenging, at least in terms of always projecting happiness when perhaps that's not how I'm feeling. Well, whatever your situation, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws your way. For me, it's imperative that I'm my best self in order to just perform at a high level. And when I don't feel that way, BetterHelp is a great option and a great resource for therapy. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. That gets you matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch out anytime for no additional charge if you're not happy. For me, I'm on the road about 119 years, so being able to connect with someone remotely was absolutely huge for me. And my mindset really candidly has changed for the better. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Florian today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Florian. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckle SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Hi, this is Dr. Laurie Santos. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. We believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can build a more connected community. Neighbor to Neighbor. It takes a neighborhood.